0: Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the aiconf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I sat down with Danny Lang. He is the VP of AI and Machine Learning at Unity Technologies. So Danny has a great background. He previously led data and machine learning teams at Microsoft, Amazon, and Uber. And for this episode, we will do a deep dive on what they're doing at Unity in terms of applying deep learning and deep reinforcement learning in order to build tools for uh, game developers. So a slight note about uh, reinforcement learning. So listeners of this podcast know I'm a big fan of reinforcement learning. And uh, there are challenges with reinforcement learning. You need a lot of data. You need a lot of computational power and all of that. But it does seem clear that it will play a role. My friend Ben Reck is doing a series of posts on reinforcement learning. And I will link to it in the notes to this episode. But if you follow what Ben has been writing, so you will see that the three types of machine learning all will play a role in terms of AI. So unsupervised learning, you can think of it as some sort of descriptive analytics. Uh, Supervised learning is a form of predictive analytics. And then reinforcement learning is a form of prescriptive analytics. So clearly, reinforcement learning and the types of problems it attempts to address will have a huge role in AI. So the question is, will we be using the same tools in order to uh, solve reinforcement learning problems? So anyway, Danny and I will talk about what they're doing in terms of actually uh, using reinforcement learning now in uh, Unity Technologies. I hope you enjoy the episode. Danny Lang, VP of AI and Machine Learning at Unity Technologies. Welcome to the Data Show.
1: Oh, thank you. I've been really looking forward to this, Ben.
0: So you have an amazing background in terms of uh, leading data teams across these kind of really high, uh, well-recognized companies, so uh, Microsoft, Amazon, and Uber. So take us through a quick tour of Danny Lang's recent uh, uh, career leading data teams uh, and machine learning teams in these uh, companies. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I was head of machine learning at Uber and GM of machine learning at, at Amazon. And in both companies, I built out an internal machine learning platform that other teams in the company could use. Machine learning can be hard and infrastructure is one of the challenges. So both Amazon and Uber realized that by building these internal cloud services, you know, basically offering up machine learning as a service would make it easy for the rest of the organization to adopt machine learning more than just talking about it, yeah, but actually use it in a wide range of of applications, yeah? And um, so it's really sort of an idea of democratizing machine learning within the organization, yeah? At Amazon, I also launched uh, the first public machine learning service on Amazon Web Services on AWS. Uh, which is was a variation of the internal system really shaped uh, for public usage and really with a number of, of features that made it easy for software engineers to start using machine learning as an integral part of application development
0: so you're uh, in in both places you built an internal machine learning platform and to me that sounds like the type of people on your team would be more on the software engineering data engineering side rather than data scientists and machine learning is that correct
1: that's absolutely correct i don't know what the ratio is but my guess is that there's uh, you know a thousand to 10000 software engineers per every data scientist yeah and to really make an impact you have to build a highly scalable highly reliable and robust machine learning service which is really a lot of software engineering. And you have to build it for software engineers, yeah? Because they are the ones that's going to build all these applications, yeah? So my focus is always on a high degree of uh, software engineering excellence first. And then, of course, <laughs> right after comes good and strong knowledge uh, of machine learning. My guys need to have that to, to really build these services, yeah?
0: So we're talking Amazon and Uber, which are uh, technology companies. So if you were to, let's say, you ended up tomorrow in a Fortune 500 enterprise that's not in technology, and you were tasked to have a uh, internal data science platform, would you choose to build that yourself at this point, or would you just go to one of these uh, software-as-a-service?
1: I would definitely not choose to build it myself. I, there are excellent cloud services out there now, both on AWS on uh, Microsoft's Azure platform and on Google GCP, their cloud platform. There are excellent machine learning uh, services all around us. Uh, Use them. That's the best way to get started.
0: And the project that you led at Uber ended up becoming a tool called Michelangelo, I think. And uh, my understanding is that uh, I think for certain companies, and I think uh, Uber may be one of them, is that I think there, the inclination is still to build because there's too many other services that the machine learning platform will need to integrate with and interoperate with that they ended up going down the road of building them themselves. So.
1: Yeah, so so you're right. Uh, the Michelangelo uh, platform at, at Uber, it's, there's an excellent description of it on the Uber Engineering blog that I recommend everybody to go and check out. It's really a well-written overview of the Michelangelo platform. Uber was in this somewhat special situation that a lot of Uber is running on an internal cloud platform. So it's not on AWS ah, or Azure, everything. Yeah. So, uh, they had to build it on the internal uh, platform. I would also highlight another thing here, which is the Michelangelo platform was really built uh, mostly with open source software. A lot of, you know, 90% of it is open source software, yeah. So it's Hadoop and it's Spark and MLlib, it's supporting TensorFlow, et cetera, et cetera. And the real effort was putting all this together as a homogeneous platform with a nice user interface, data pipeline integration, et cetera, into the rest of the business, yeah. So if you are a team in Uber Eats who wants to use machine learning, a lot of that base work of integrating with the with the data systems at Uber had already been done,
0: and uh, I think a lot of these internal machine learning platforms emphasize a lot about on uh, collaboration. In particular, many of the tech companies in the Bay Area talk about feature stores, right? So having having data scientists not have to reinvent the wheel. If you're a data scientist and you come up with a interesting feature, you publish it, and so other data scientists can use it somehow.
1: Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. It's, it's one of the first things we set out to build when we built Michelangelo was the feature store, yeah, which is essentially you put all the core attributes of your business, all the key data of your business. I think of it as the columns in your spreadsheets. You put that in the feature store. When one team wants to build a service, 80, 90% of the data they need to look for is already right there in front of them. They can just pull it out of the feature store very, you know, in a very efficient manner. And that really sort of lowers the barrier of entry. Uh, you, you can imagine that if you have to go and find the data first, now you have to process the data, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's complicated stuff, yeah.
0: People forget there's a lot of IP in features in the sense that it's very likely when you talk to someone in another company, they'll tell you what algorithm they're using, but they will never tell you what features they're using.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there is an overwhelming focus on algorithms. When I actually consider the algorithm, if, if you find two, three algorithms that work for you, that can take you really far. Yeah? The magic is in the features. The magic is in the data you can actually use.
0: So uh, fast forward. So you're now VP of AI and Machine Learning at Unity Technologies, and uh, you gave a great talk uh, last year at our AISF conference where you basically described, basically, you made the case for why someone would work at Unity. Basically, there's a lot of exciting things going on. So we're going to talk about what you guys are doing in terms of machine learning and deep learning at Unity. But first off, for our audience who are not familiar with Unity, so what does Unity do?
1: So Unity is basically a, a software game platform. Yeah? So if you want to build a computer game, you should use Unity. Yeah? We have a, you know, I believe about 50, 50 to 60% market share in mobile games. We basically provide all the underlying software that you need to write a game. Not only that, we also basically cross-compile that your software to over 30 platforms. Yeah, So you can actually write a high-performance graphical game, 3D game for iPhone, and click a button and it will build for, for Android as well.
0: So there might be people playing games that were created uh, with Unity without even knowing.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, we have over a billion uh, monthly active users playing some game made with Unity.
0: So then the natural question is, why? Why go to a company like Unity for yeah. someone with your stellar background? So what, what makes Unity so interesting?
1: Yeah, I get this question pretty often. <laughs> it's, I actually thought very deeply about this before joining, because you heard that my idea is to democratize machine learning and AI within organizations first. Yeah, I ran a toolkit team at Microsoft. I built the internal cloud platform and then a public one at Amazon, internal platform at Uber, and in my in my move to Unity, I saw an opportunity to create a machine learning, I wouldn't necessarily call it a platform, but creating an environment for exploring machine learning and AI for over, you know, for several million developers writing software on top of the Unity platform. Yeah. Uh, So so that that's really it's a it's a fantastic, you know, workbench for experimenting and exploring machine learning and AI. For a lot more people than the, the the few software engineers in in Uber or Amazon.
0: Well, in many ways, as you describe it uh, just now, it's still quote unquote an internal platform, except that you're now your users are all the developers of the platform, which are not necessarily people working at Unity.
1: Yeah, so so that's one part of it. Other half of it is that if you really think about where intelligence. Originated around us, you know, animals, humans. It's really originated out of surviving and thriving in a physical world. Yeah, that—that that is really the, the job of intelligence. Yeah, you have to survive. You have to find food. You have to avoid your enemies, etc. Yeah, uh, you have to avoid falling down. So gravity is playing a big role there. And if you think about the Unity game engine, it creates a visual 3D environment where the law of physics rule. So you have gravity, you have inertia, you have friction, and you basically have this 3D environment. It's a fantastic lab to explore machine learning and thereby elements of artificial intelligence in simulations in that world. So rather than just using machine learning to uh, work on spreadsheets and sell more products at Amazon or get your car to arrive uh, quicker at Uber, Now, you can actually start running simulations that are covering aspects of the real world, and you can explore things like vision, touching, you can explore pathfinding, etc.
0: And this is actually a critical, in many ways, an important uh, distinction between just a machine learning application and something that exhibits intelligence. One, simulation is important because, as you say, you want to explore. An environment and learn how to interact with it, with that environment. And uh, um, you want to be able to do that in as a realistic an environment as possible. In fact, Danny, there's a there's a term that people use quite frequently, which is this notion of the digital twin. right?
1: That's correct.
0: Which is basically think about any mission critical application that you want. To deploy in production so the most common being a self-driving car right so you would not want to do that you wouldn't want to push software updates and just push it to production right
1: my whole thinking you know my whole attention to unity came actually out of the self-driving car project at uber because we were putting real cars with real people on real streets in real cities driving around and you know while most people see these uber cars and other self-driving cars coming by uh, they think they're out-testing them. And actually, in most cases, we're really out-collecting data. Yeah? Uh, and what I found was that a lot of the data we collect, actually an uh, overwhelming majority of the data is not very interesting because it's really just uh, trailing the car in front of you, stop when it stops, go when it goes. That's what happens in city traffic. Yeah, And people don't generally jump in front of your car. There's not a whole lot going on, yeah? Of edge and realize, edge yeah.
0: cases, basically.
1: Yeah. So what you end up doing is that you end up spending 98% of your time or more on trivial cases. And all the edge cases, they are so rare. Yeah. But what I realized is that you actually have to train these vehicles in what you would call an adversarial environment. You actually have to train the vehicles for all the edge cases all the time. And that's where you have to move into simulation. That was sort of my initial push into my interest into to the unity platform and then I realized this is much more than just self-driving cars it can be both you know other kinds of, of uh, you know self-flying cars or drones it can be basically uh, learning how to how people navigate etc cetera, etc cetera. so so I, I realized that it's a whole universe of literally a whole universe of opportunities within that simulator
0: by the way uh... In the course of your uh, talk last year, you gave two examples that really resonated with me in terms of real-world applications and use cases. The first was in the area of content creation. And people probably listening to this podcast are familiar with the use of generalized adversarial networks to create realistic images in an unsupervised way. But uh, Danny gave an example of why and how you may want to use that.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, we we look at um, the use of adversarial nets is just <laughs> incredible. This is just an incredible amount of use cases, yeah? So in one area, you really want to use those to to, to to generate content. And it can be anything from generating, you know, the trees and the forest and your terrain inside a game. Uh, But it can also be to create adversarial situations for a simulation of a self-driving car. So basically, you have the self-driving car trying not to hit anything and hurt anyone in the simulation of, uh, say, a city street scenario. And then you use an adversarial net to create episodes in that scenario where uh, other cars, bicyclists, and pedestrians are doing things with the objective of making the self-driving vehicle uh, make a mistake. And the whole idea in that is, of course, that you use an adversarial net to challenge the self-driving vehicle, which is another machine learning system that then becomes better. So that's one example of using adversarial net, yeah. We also have some good examples in a complete different area, which is purely in the creation, uh, style changes of graphics, uh, and uh, creation of objects
0: which I think will uh, make uh, the life of artists of uh, game artists much m- much more pleasant.
1: yeah we we see that often uh, two-thirds of an effort in a, in, a, in a commercial computer game goes into the into what you would call the artistic work yeah and while some people think that, we can use generative nets to, to take away artistic work. That's not the case. What we will do is that we basically empower the artists to focus on the more creative part and then automate a lot of the, the normally really hard work of filling in the details and generating outlines, etc. So to so really use these tools to empower the artist, that that's very important to us.
0: The other example that, you gave that really resonated with me was uh, uh, reinforcement learning, which is basically, I think what you were trying to, what you showed was you were trying to train, this was like a, a simple example, train a chicken to cross a road without getting hit by a car. But my takeaway is that this might mean that uh, this might be a mechanism uh, in the future for game developers to be able to quickly train characters within a game.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of reinforcement learning. Uh, I think it has an incredible potential, not just in in, 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 in game development, but, but in a lot of other areas too. We can get back to that. But I think that some of the results that we have seen from uh, DeepMind's AlphaGo, which is really uh, a fantastic example of reinforcement learning, what we are doing at Unity is that we are basically making reinforcement learning available to the masses, yeah? yeah? So we have shipped uh, some open source software on GitHub called Unity ML Agents that basically include the basic frameworks for people to experiment with reinforcement learning. And uh, it's it's very fascinating. The, the whole idea is back to the simulation, yeah? Reinforcement learning is really creating a, a machine-learn-driven feedback loop. And in the example of the chicken crossing the road, yes, it get hit thousands and thousands of times by these cars, but every time it gets hit, it learns that's a bad thing, yeah? And every time it manages to pick up a gift package on the way over the road, that's a good thing, yeah? And over time, it gets superhuman capabilities in crossing this road, yeah? Uh, and that is fantastic because there's not a single line of code going into that, yeah? It's pure simulation, and through reinforcement learning, you capture, captures a method. It learns a method to cross the road. And you can take that into many different aspects uh, of games. And a lot of this is actually not well researched yet. There are many different uh, methods you can train. You can add two chickens. Can they collaborate to do something together? We uh, are looking at what we call multi-agent systems where two or more of these trained reinforcement learning trained agents are acting together to achieve something.
0: So um what is uh, what's your relationship your group's relationship to the outside AI community in uh, by that I mean uh, do you actively uh, tell them that hey uh, you folks should start looking at our engine and and start uh, using our engine to do some of your research
1: Absolutely we are very focused on bringing the message of our machine learning agents and the unity uh, engine out to the research community. We have seen many examples of students spending, you know, a whole semester trying to, you know, set up a simulation environment to explore machine learning. Yeah. What we we say here is that you can set it up within hours and then you can explore your own algorithms, you can explore existing algorithms. We are making some of the best reinforcement learning algorithms out there. We make them available. We basically want to, or we, there was a whole idea when we started out was to first make this available to students and researchers so that they can easily uh, create simulations where they use reinforcement learning.
0: By the way, I need to introduce you to the people at Rice Lab in Berkeley. This is the team that created Apache Spark. They have distributed platform for reinforcement learning uh, with a reinforcement learning library. And uh, you are definitely uh, complimentary to what they're doing. So I'll make sure that uh, you folks uh, meet each other. Um, So I have Danny coming to our AI conference in Beijing to give a keynote and give a session. And one of the reasons I kind of uh, wanted Danny to come is... China and games is such a huge market for games so uh, is there anything particular about China that excites you
1: yeah I think that China is is one of these um, countries where there's an incredible amount of innovation going on in the artificial intelligence space I, I it's 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 amazing to see the focus there is. they the country as a whole, is clearly believing that AI is going to play a very important part of the future. And that's one of the reasons that I, I, I join you in Beijing, because we really want to bring the message out of Unity and how our platform can really accelerate AI, both in using it in game development, but also in science and other applications where uh, it can actually really uh, do good for society.
0: All right. So then uh, looking ahead, let's say for the next few years, we talked about deep learning and building machine learning platforms. What are you most excited about?
1: Oh, there's so much to be excited about. But I think that reinforcement learning is the thing that gives me the most uh, excitement about the future because I think the results we have achieved, and and here I'm thinking of... uh, not just AlphaGo, but in general, what we have achieved with reinforcement learning has been beyond expectations. And yet we have only scratched the surface. I think there's so much more to be explored and learned about reinforcement learning. Uh, not just the algorithms, but also the way that it's being, the learning process is being explored. I want to give an example that. At Unity, we are trying to build a a virtual soccer team by using reinforcement learning. So we don't want to tell, it's lit by a bit like AlphaGo Zero. We don't want to tell the system how to play soccer. There are just certain rules and then basically through self-play, you need to learn. The complication here is that it's not like Go game uh, or board play where you have uh, two people against a computer playing against a person or two computers playing against themselves. Now in this case you have basically have two teams so you have a multi-agent situation. You have a goalie, you have a set of players and it raises a lot of questions of how to train such a team. Do we train agents individually? What is the rewards function and what is the process around this and how do we build the best models? And by the way are we going to learn something new about soccer strategy? I'm going to talk more about that at your conference in Beijing, um, but we're really only getting into this right now, and I think that is, that is what's going to really change the game over the next few years. Learning methods, learning strategies uh, is, is, is going to be key.
0: That example just blows my mind in the sense that, uh, okay, so you talked about Go. Right. So, but then the earlier uh, result from DeepMind was in the console games like Atari, where really, if you think about it, the uh, the possible movements are quite simple. Right. So now you're talking about let's just say one player who's upright, who I'm assuming uh, you want uh, you want the soccer player to move as realistic as possible. Right. So the physics of that one player. Now you have two teams. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting, yes? Yet, you have two teams of 22 individuals that, who in many ways are very similar. And are, are Are we going to train using reinforcement learning just one of them? Are we going to then train them two and two or three together? What, what is sort of the process? And, and, and what I'm seeing at this point is very much a process that is somewhat similar to the way that kids learn to play soccer as they grow up. Yeah, from the very naive, all the kids chasing, chasing the ball, all the kids trying to score uh, when they're six, seven years old, and when they get uh, nine, 10, 11 years old, they start playing together, maybe a little more strategic, two and two, uh, and then as they become professional players, you know, you they start playing complex strategies, and in my eyes, it's diving into that is going to teach us a lot about how to. Evolve AI. It's also hopefully going to teach us a lot about ourselves.
0: Yeah. So a couple of a couple of uh, observations about RL that I you know I wrote a post trying to understand what are the applications of RL and like you I'm I'm very excited. But there are a couple of things that seem to be uh, drawbacks of RL. One, it does require a lot of data. And uh, you're in great shape because you have this simulation environment. So so you can generate uh, lots of data. And then secondly, the error estimates for RL are quite all over the map, right? So there was this paper where if you change the random seed, the behavior changes a lot. So I think I'm not sure if it's something that you would necessarily want to put in a Kind of a life and death situation, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that is why that is why I want a million developers to start working on this. I want uh, a lot more innovation, and I want a lot more out of the box thinking, and that that is what we want by making this available uh, to you know, our unity community, yeah? Let let me just jump to to one thing here that most people think that reinforcement learning in the game world or in game-like situations is a lot about what we call pathfinding. And pathfinding is basically for a character in a game to navigate through some situation. And, well, that is is pretty well understood. There are good algorithms for that. I'm actually thinking that on, on a complete different note, for instance, which weapon or which tool should a character p- pick up and, and, and bring with them in a game? Yeah. That is a much, much harder decision. Yeah. It's it's strategy at, at a higher level. Uh, if it brings, you know, two if it uses two powerful weapons, it kills off the human player immediately and the game is no fun. Yeah. So the rewards function in that case would be something like Use the tools and weapons against the human player to to maximize game time to basically make it most entertaining. Yeah. So reinforcement learning will I hope to see it explored uh, in a great variety of situations so that we can actually learn a lot about AI and uh, how it interacts with us as humans.
0: By the way, there for our listeners out there, I think there's a subtle point that Danny made, which is uh, this notion that yes, the character will need to decide what uh, weapon to pick up. But I believe Danny wants the character to learn that uh, over time instead of having to write down a rule.
1: Totally. I don't think the game developer is in a really strong position to predict uh, how the game is going to play out. It's a bit the same at Amazon. Jeff Bezos is not deciding you know which products are we going to put on the market this week yeah it's it's done by computer systems that constantly try to learn and figure mm-hmm. out what products are you looking for what are you interested in and then they will bring those products to you they're not trying to tell you what to buy yeah except maybe a Kindle and an Alexa device but <laughs> beyond that there's a billion products in Amazon's catalog yeah and you can browse that catalog in a lifetime therefore Amazon uses machine learning to bring the right products in front of you that you may not even know you need it. Yeah? And I see the same technique applied in games and other apps where the app learning to optimize its behavior with you as its user and not what someone decided <laughs> that, you know, what, what, you know, how the game should play out.
0: By the way, I think that it is a fact that uh, we may not know it, but there's recommenders already using some form of RL.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Both at Amazon and, and Netflix as an example, too. Lots of reinforcement learning taking place to try to figure out what they don't yet know about you, and you may not even know about yourself. But by, by keep probing in an RL manner, they will learn a lot about you.
0: So uh, to close, you've had this incredible career uh, leading data teams across these uh, really great companies. So, what career advice would you give a younger version or younger version of yourself if you were starting out right now? What 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 are some good tips for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's 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 really uh, two. I, I think it's two aspects. One of them is thinking outside the box. Just don't do the most obvious when it comes to machine learning, reinforcement learning, you know, other learning techniques. Don't don't do the most obvious. Don't do what everybody else are doing. Look ahead and imagine and dream up some something new in that space. Some new way of using it. Uh, some new way of applying it to to some known domain. And then, secondly, I'm very fascinated about uh, the power of bringing things out in front of people. It's good to do research. Uh, I have a PhD myself. I have written many papers myself, but I feel over time that creating either open source uh, software or uh, creating applications that people actually change people's life uh, is very impactful. So I would look out of the box, be innovative, and build real stuff.
0: And with that, thank you, Danny Lang.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: You can follow Danny Lang on Twitter at Danny underscore Lang. Thanks for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or tunein.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.